0: We want to turn our attention to Scripture. We have, as is always the case, or usually the case, we have three passages to read today. The final one being the one that we'll preach from, but each of these will be referred to, and they have important things for us. The first one is Psalm 50. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to sit back and just listen to this. Or if you want to grab a pew Bible, you can do that. You'll see the, in the bulletin, <clears throat> these passages are listed where the page number in those pew Bibles, but you're welcome to sit back and listen or follow along in your own Bible, Psalm 50. It's uh, about five or 10 years ago, the Lord was really working this in my heart and life. It's just a wonderful declaration of God that speaks to us about Him, about us, and about what lies ahead. So listen here to God's Word. The Mighty One, the Lord God has spoken and summoned the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God has shown forth. May our God come and not keep silence. Fire devours before him and is very tempestuous around him. He summons the heavens above and the earth to judge his people. Gather my godly ones to me, those who have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. And the heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge. Hear, O my people, and I will speak, O Israel, I will testify against you, I am God your God. I do not reprove you for your sacrifices, and your burnt offerings are continually before me. I shall take no young bull out of your house, nor male goats out of your folds, for every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird of the mountains, and everything that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all it contains. Shall I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of male goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I shall rescue you and you will honor me. But to the wicked, God says, what right have you to tell of my statutes and to take my covenant in your mouth? for you hate discipline, and you cast My words behind you. When you see a thief, you're pleased with him, and you associate with adulterers. You let your mouth loose in evil, and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. These things you have done, and I kept silence. You thought that I was just like you. I will reprove you, and stake the case in order before your eyes. <clears throat> now consider this, you who forget God. Or I will tear you in pieces, and there will be none to deliver. He who offers a sacrifice of thanksgiving honors me. And to him who orders his way aright, I shall show the salvation of God. Amen. Behold the kindness and severity of God, eh? Then 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we'll read verses 9 through 20, I believe. Let me get there. Yep. Corinth was a comparatively corrupt place in which to live. Church is planted there, and they have issues they have to get dealt with and settled. So in this letter, this first letter to the Corinthians, Paul deals with a number of those, and you'll hear some specific things today in this passage. Listen here to God's Word. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, but you were washed But you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach and the stomach is for food, but God will do away with both of them. Yet the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. Now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through His power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? (laughs) May it never be. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says, the two shall become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man Sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Amen. And then our text, main preaching text today is from Revelation chapter 2, verses 12 through 17, the church in Pergamum, receives a letter from the Lord Jesus, we'll read it Now, listen here to God's word. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum, write, the one who has the sharp two-edged sword says this, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. And you hold fast my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you because you have there some who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit acts of immorality. So you also have some who in the same way hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore repent or else I'm coming to you quickly and I will make war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, to him I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone, which no one knows but he who receives it." Amen. We'll take just a few moments to bow our heads and silently meditate upon God's Word, which we've read. Father, we come come in Jesus' name. And we ask for You to minister to us by Your Word, read and spoken. May we be eager recipients of that Word which You send forth to pierce into our hearts and into our minds. O Lord, build us up, take away that which needs to be taken away. Mold that which you have here to the way you want it to be, for our desire is to be yours. To be the people you want us to be, to be the person you want each one of us to be. So help us. By your Holy Spirit, come and glorify yourself. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, the Lord of all. Amen. Pergamum was a tough place to live if you were a Christian. Idolatry and immorality was enmeshed in the community. That was the very fabric of the community, the things they did bespoke and and was just part of idolatrous actions and immoral behavior. They had three major temples in Pergamum. The huge, big one was to the emperor. And emperor worship was required if you're going to be in certain guilds and trades and crafts and things like that, business, in other words, had to worship the emperor, Caesar. There was the temple of Bacchus. Do you know who Bacchus is? I told people that I worshiped him when I was in the Navy. Bacchus is the god of you know, wine and revelry. And uh, I wasn't a Christian then, I, I, I said, "Great gods, you might as well have gods that you like, right? So I had Bacchus as one of the gods, I said, I, I like them, and uh, so they had… There was great immorality there that took place in the temple of Bacchus. The other one was a temple to uh, Aesculapius and that was the, the god of healing. And now this is, this is sort of weird, what they would do, uh, the priests of that temple, they kept in the basement a whole big room full of snakes, non-poisonous snakes. They weren't Pentecostal, non-poisonous snakes. <laughs> They weren't even Christians. And what you would do, you'd go at night and offer a sacrifice, and you'd sleep there on the floor, and the priest would let those snakes loose, and you hope they'd crawl across you, the idea being that you would be healed as snakes crawled across your body. And apparently, they did good, I mean, in terms of business, as it were. It's amazing how many worship patterns around the world, across the cultures— have snakes in them to be worshiped. Well, now you had to go along to get along there, so these temples were part and parcel enmeshed in the fabric of the community. Plus, here's what Jesus says about that. He says, You dwell where Satan's throne is. That's where you dwell. Uh, He says... That's where Satan dwells as well. Now would you be pretty intimidated by that? You live in Salertown. That's where Satan dwells. Yeah, we get a little intimidated by that perhaps. So we need to be aware of some things here. Jesus is not trying to intimidate people. He's just trying to make them aware of what's going on. And so the first thing, you see the title of the sermon today is schemes. We want to talk about the schemes of the devil we must be aware that such schemes exist by him who is the arch enemy of our souls and of our lives. So we have Ephesians 6.11 says this, put on the full armor of God that you will be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The devil has schemes. And if you don't have the armor of God on, you're liable to fall prey to his schemes. You find in 2 Corinthians, uh, 2, verse 11, it says, make sure that no advantage is taken of you, by, of us, by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. Now, I wonder, are you ignorant of the devil's schemes? If you had to say, what are the schemes of the devil, what would you say? I'm going to suggest that there are two today, two big ones, there's all kind of little ones underneath them, but two big ones that we need to be aware of, that he speaks to, that Jesus speaks to here, to the people in Pergamum. All right? Now, Here's the first scheme, what does the first scheme say? Uh, The devil says that he's the boss. Uh, Do you believe that? There's all kinds of things where the devil says he's the boss, he's the one in charge. Remember our five-fold covenant model, the first question is, who's in charge? And the answer is God, right? Except the devil says he's in charge. And you know, there's things in Scripture that seem to back that up. So here we have 1 John five nineteen. We know that we are of God and that the, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Whew! That's sort of that. Uh, John 12, 31 says the same sort of thing. What does that say? Now, ju- this is Jesus speaking. Now, judgment is upon this world. Now, the ruler of this world will be cast out. So the devil is a ruler in some way or another. There's another place where Jesus says in John Uh, 1611, I think it is. Let's see if we can add up here. For the ruler of this world is coming and he has nothing in me. That's John 1430. I missed that one. Uh, So, is 1611 in there too? Must not be. Uh, That's fine. That's good. Uh, But the point here is that the devil there it is. Hallelujah. (laughs) The ruler of this world has been judged. The point is the devil is a ruler. Right? I mean, Jesus says it, all the Scriptures say it, stuff like that. Uh, he's also a deceiver. So, you have 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. In whose case, let's talk about people who don't believe, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel. So, He comes and in some way He deceives by blinding, so you can't make out what's there. It's like when you're driving down the uh, the road and on about seven o'clock in the morning or eight o'clock in the morning now and the sun's you're driving east and boy The sun's so bright it blinds you you can't see uh, You can't see the light of the gospel. So he is a deceiver. He's also a self promoter. Listen to what he tells Jesus in Matthew 4 The devil took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory and said to him all these things I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me Well, all those things could be very powerful to the people in Pergamum and to us. This is the way of life. He's a ruler. We better get on with it, get over it, and deal with it. But the thing is, if you just listen to the verses that we've read, you don't get the whole story. You don't get all of what's really there. You, you have misunderstood the gospel in some way. You've misunderstood the proclamation of God from the Garden of Eden to the end of Revelation. It says something that has to be added to that, it must be overlaid to that, as it were. And so, my question is this, why was it that the Christian church in Pergamum did not go along to get along? Why was that? So, there's another set of witnesses about who the boss is. Question number one. Who's in charge? The whole cosmos, who's in charge? Here's what Exodus 19 verse 5 says, now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. You understand, that's a counterclaim to what the devil says. This is, this is God speaking through Moses to the children of Israel as they're coming out of Egypt to Israel, he says, all the earth is mine. He makes a claim. Uh, for His people, says you need to know that. Listen to the declaration of the psalmist in Psalm 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. We've quoted that many times, but do you believe that? The earth is the Lord's and all it contains. He's the boss. Who's in charge? He is. You know, we, hear it, we read it this morning in Psalm 50, verse 12 where God Himself speaking through the psalm says, for the world is mine and all it contains. We must know that. We must know that such is the case. What about Jesus? What does He say about this? Well, listen to these words from Matthew 28. You're familiar with them? Jesus says, He came up to His disciples, this is after His resurrection, and spoke to them saying, all authority, all right, all authority, where? Has been given to me in heaven and on earth. I'm the boss. All right, you need to know that. You need to stand on that. Jesus said that. That's the basis by which we live and go forward. Here's the reality. You remember about three or four years ago we memorized Ephesians 1:15 through Ephesians 2:10. Here's what verses 19 through 21 say. We need to learn what is the surpassing greatness of his power, the resurrected Christ, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come as well." That is, who's the boss? God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He's the boss over all. There are counterclaims, and they recognize that such is the case. But ultimately, who is the boss? God is. We need to know that. The schemes of the devil, the number one scheme of the devil, is to get you to think that God's not in charge. That God's not the boss. Now, what we've just gone through here, that's what Antipas and some of the folks there at Pergamum knew. That's why Antipas refused to bow the knee to the state. We presume that it was the Romans, the state government, that put him to death. They were the highest one, and Caesar's the one who always comes up against the Lord. But listen to what Jesus says about Antipas. You did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one. Isn't that a great testimony? I would that each of us would hear Jesus say that about us. Ed, my witness, Danielle, my faithful one, John, my witness. No, all of us to hear that from, from the Lord Jesus saying that. Now Antipas was his witness like that to death. They chopped his head off. They got rid of him. We need to know today, each day, we need to know that the political realm, the Caesars, are not the end-all of end-alls. Caesar, promoted by the devil, wants us to think so. But Caesar and government cannot change what needs to be changed. It's impossible. Now, Caesar does, in fact, legislate morality. Now, we need to know that governments are called to legislate morality. Every government does. They say, here's what's legal, here's what's not legal. So, they're, they're, they're legislating morality. And we're glad they do. That's their job. Uh, Romans 1, 13, 1. There is no authority except from God, and those which exist <coughs> excuse me, are established by God. So, all those authorities, they're from God. God establishes them. Now, they are... Remember our covenant model, number one question is, who's in charge? God is. What's number two? To whom do I report? That's question number two, or point number two. And God has delegated authority in a whole variety of ways. One of the main ways is to civil government, that God has delegated authority. Verse 4 of chapter 13 says, for it, government, Caesar, is a minister of God. Did you believe that? We need to hear that. That's Scripture speak. is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. So, government is meant to exercise negative consequences to people who behave evilly, in an evil fashion. Now, there have been tons and tons and lots and lots of governments who've not done that. China right now is in the process of doing the exact opposite of that. Well, all those or delegated authorities from the one on the most high, and they'll give an answer for that. Our government, our judges, our legislators, our officials will give an answer to the one who's the boss for how they did their delegated authority from him. Because it's a minister of God. It needs to know that. Every government does. What's the big problem? The silence of God. We don't see the judgment of God. That's part of why we read Psalm 50. You know, the part where it talks about evildoers says, you did all these things, and I kept silence. God's silence is His benevolence, His mercy. He's giving time for people to hear and repent, to come back. That's why judgment doesn't fall immediately. Then I kept silence, and you thought you thought I was just like you. It says, now you guys better pay attention or I'll come. I'm going to tear you apart. That's God saying that. Read that in verse Psalm 50. It's oh, powerful. Watch it. I'm going to tear you apart. Need to hear that. Judgment is coming, so look out. Therefore, we need to know, against the number one scheme of the devil, we need to know who the boss is. It's not Caesar, it's not anyone else, it's God. Now, there's people we have to report to. We're not calling for rebellion here, but we're calling that the ultimate question is, who's boss? Now, there's scheme number two. Scheme number two, as he talks about here, is is the teaching of Balaam. And the teaching of Balaam is, is about the pleasures of the flesh. Uh, what Balaam teaches folks <clears throat> is that the pleasures of the faith uh, of the flesh are good; they're enjoyable, they're pleasurable. That's why I call it pleasures of the flesh. So let's enjoy them. As a matter of fact, what they actually are, used inappropriately, they're stumbling blocks put in the pathway of the people of God to cause them to stumble from their faith by behaving in an immoral fashion. This was back then, and it remains today, a great, great deception. People think it's okay to indulge the flesh. And so we have this list from 1 Corinthians 6 that needs to be heeded. Did you hear it all, what all was on that list? Sexuality, greed, drinking, speech, credit card people, that is, bosses. <laughs> that's the people who, who lure you into something to keep you paying and paying and paying and paying and paying. They didn't say credit card people, but the the term does that. Watch out. That's what it says in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Watch out. And here's what he says. Do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. And then there's that long list that I just talked about. We read. And you read through that and you think, my goodness. <laughs> Am I on that list? Or who do I know on a list like that? Well, yeah, you should think like that. That's, that's what Paul was wanting to do. He says, you need to know these things. That this is what's going on here. Don't be deceived about that. Don't somehow think that, that it's going to be different. No, this is the way it is. And he goes on and talks the rest of that chapter about <clears throat> how to deal with those sorts of things, how we need to have our mind be aware of, of how to think about these things. There's another passage in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 33. It says, don't be deceived. See, the great things that we're deceived. We get this light shining on us, and we get deceived. It says, don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. That's a true saying. Watch who you hang with. Watch where you're going. That's what Jesus is telling the church of Pergamum here. The, you know, you have some there who hold to the teachings of Balaam, who are, who are teaching people that it's all right. It, you can do all these different things. It's all right. He says it's not all right. Don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. There's a principle here. It's Galatians six seven. <clears throat> What's the principle? Do not be deceived. Now, why do you think it always says that in the Bible? Don't be deceived. Why do you think it says that? Because we can be deceived. (laughs) Because we're gullible. (laughs) Because we want to go that way. He says, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. That's powerful. Should make us have some thought. Now, we live in a time of great deception on this list. Sexuality, greed, money, entertainment, sports, all can be idolatrous. Go to the big cities of the land, and what's the biggest temple there? Your sports arenas. Nothing wrong with sports, we're glad for that. But for a lot of folks, it's idolatrous. It, 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 it runs their life. They bow the knee to that before anything else. Mary Beth says, even the Flyers, yes, <laughs> even the Flyers, there we go. <laughs> <clears throat> even the Sixers, you know, the Sixers have won two in a row. So what? Well, we're glad, but, but those, those things can become I- idols for us, stumbling points that make us <clears throat> fall from God. Now, Jesus has a good word for the folk at per- Pergamum, the church there. Know what that word is? You find it in a lot of the, a lot of the uh, letters he sends here. Repent. That's what it is. Repent. Never think that it's too late. If you hear repent and it reverberates in your soul, repent. It's not too late. Repent. Never think that it doesn't matter. The reason Jesus is saying repent is because it does matter. Know that such is the case. God is calling in the the process of saying repent. He's calling, and He will forgive, and He will give grace to change. Listen to here, Titus 3, 3 through 5. For we also were once foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures. It's all focused on me and I'm going to have pleasure. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us. By the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. God can change us. We need to yield to Him. He can do that. Now, here in this letter to the people at Pergamum, <clears throat> Jesus gives some promises to the one who overcomes. Uh, who is an overcomer? I think I have a slide about who is an overcomer. Here's my, I didn't get this out of any book, this is just me, all right? Here's an overcomer. It's one who is aware of his or her own fallenness and weakness of flesh. You're aware of that. May I say to you that I'm aware of my fallenness and my weakness of flesh all too well. Only one who knows it, well, my, my wife knows it, but I know it even better than her. One wishes one didn't have that. But, who's aware of that, but says, I trust you, Lord Jesus. Jesus. And give my life to you, period. How's that? I trust you. I'm weak, I'm fallen, I have all these different things, but I trust you, Lord Jesus, to take the wrath of God away, to fill me with the Spirit, I give my life to you, period. That's it. Now, to the one who overcomes, he promises two things, hidden manna. What is hidden manna? I don't have some esoteric thing to tell you. All the hidden manna is is what the remember manna in the in the coming out of Hallelujah, it's raining. You don't have to go anywhere, right? So we keep on here. (laughs) Manna, they say, coming out of out of the Egypt to the Promised Land, it's a miracle. It just appears every morning. If they try and store it up, it gets foul, breeds worms, die. You know, it's no good. It's a miracle every day. He says, "I'll give you hidden manna," that is. All along your pathway, you'll have food to eat that comes from me. And what you get on Tuesday won't be good on Friday. You need new food on—give us this day our what? Our daily manna. (laughs) Okay? Now, we want to eat, we agree, we want to eat, but we need food for our souls. And that's what he promises. And sometimes it's really tasty, and sometimes it's, yeah all right. That's what He promises. It's unexplainable. It's very real. It's just like man. He says a white stone with your name written on it. But not just your name, a new name. Remember that song? There's a new name written down in glory, and it's mine, oh yes, it's mine. Remember that song? Did you ever sing that? Yeah, He gives each of us a new name. Naming is, is something that, that, that shows authority. He has authority for our lives that He gives us a new name. No one else knows it. It's specific. And in that great temple that He's built, and we're lively stones within that temple, each stone will have the name of the particular person on it. It's part of what that means. I mean, it points in that direction. So, precious, specific promises. Blanket true, but specific. He knows us and calls us by name. We need to know that. So, we live in a time and place far distant from Pergamum. And yet, we live in a time and a place not that different from Pergamum. And so, when Jesus tells Pergamum, He can speak to us. Don't be intimidated by the state or by anyone else. Know the one who has the sword coming out of his mouth, a sharp two edged sword, the Word of God that does all this? Be an overcomer. Seek the Lord Jesus. Live for Him. Amen. We want to take time to confess our sin to God this morning.